Welcome to the Whistleblower Newsroom and to day two of Dr. Merrill Nass's hearing, which was held four days ago on October 25th. Dr. Nass had her medical license suspended last January by the Maine Board of Licensure in Medicine. After dropping and adding various charges, the board ultimately decided to charge her with incompetence for engaging in activity evidencing lack of ability or fitness, knowledge or principles and skills to carry out her duties as a doctor, for failing to conform to appropriate standards of care and professional ethics while using telemedicine for three patients, for not keeping adequate medical records and not giving patients appropriate informed consent, for breaching patient-doctor confidentiality, for practicing fraud, deceit, or misrepresentation to get a prescription for hydroxychloroquine, and for failing to respond to the board's complaint notification and subpoenas in a timely fashion. How could this be when no patients have ever registered complaints against Dr. Nass and the three patients mentioned in the board's charges will be testifying on her behalf before the board? How could Dr. Nass possibly be as wildly incompetent and unethical as the board's charges suggest. The truth is, she is not. The truth is, she is caught up in a Kafkaesque procedure that is part and parcel of the ongoing and highly orchestrated efforts that go from global to federal to state and even lower to suppress early COVID treatment protocols and the use of two highly effective drugs against COVID, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. What you'll be listening to is hour one of the more than two hour long hearing. The rest of the hearing will be posted on the Whistleblower Newsroom's various platforms, including Podbean, BitChute, Rumble, and my Substack, KB Extra, that's just with an X, kbextra.substack.com. Listen carefully to what's going on here, because what you'll be hearing are public officials working hard to impose an outcome that is not only wrong, but nakedly corrupt. The hearing begins with Dr. Nass's lawyer, Gene Libby, picking up where he left off with his question of Dr. Nass. I wanted to begin where we left off on October 11th. We were discussing licensee exhibit 13C, which was the Board of Pharmacy minutes, which indicated that on January 6, 2022, the Board of Pharmacy removed from their website the statement issued on April 11, 2020 on the use of hydroxychloroquine. I now want to ask board members to go to uh, Licensee Exhibit 13. Uh, what is Licensee Exhibit 13, Dr. Nass? <clears throat> It is called Maine Board of Pharmacy Statement 012021 on dispensing of ivermectin. And uh, when was it issued? It was issued on September 28, 2021. Uh, now, as I understand it, with respect to patients one and two, we will discuss specifically uh, later this morning, uh, you issued prescriptions for ivermectin to both of those individuals before 
this board statement was issued. Correct. And what does the board, what is the substance of the board statement? The substance of the board statement is to frighten people without specifically stating that there is any rule, regulation, law, or any other um, authoritative reason not to prescribe ivermectin. Instead, it claims to remind Maine pharmacists that the FDA says ivermectin is not specifically authorized or approved for COVID-19, which it doesn't have to be. That makes it an off-label drug. And it says that the CDC issued a health alert warning, which also does not in any legal way preclude the prescribing of this legal and licensed drug. Instead, it says pharmacists should use their professional and clinical judgment and take appropriate steps to verify with applicable prescribers that the prescriptions for ivermectin are for legitimate medical purposes. In other words, this statement says nothing. It says nothing that is ordering anyone to do anything except practice good medicine. Is there a reference in the Board of Licensure and Medicine statement about an increase in poison control alerts dealing with ivermectin? Yes, it's a, the CDC health alert of August 26, which was four pages long, contained a lot of hand-waving about the dangers of ivermectin, but cited only two specific cases of two people who overdosed on ivermectin. One person received it from the internet without a prescription, and the other person took an animal preparation. Neither was prescribed by a physician, neither was cared for by a physician, and two people overdosing on illegitimate products, not licensed drug, should not be something that initiates a health alert warning. But in this case, and we have emails from people at CDC to demonstrate, CDC was looking for some excuse to create a warning about ivermectin and used these cases to do so. Was there any credibility to the allegation that there was an increase in poison control calls through the use of ivermectin? There was a lot of misinformation and disinformation put out by various state and federal agencies regarding the dangers of ivermectin. For example, in Mississippi, the state epidemiologist initially claimed that 70% of calls they were getting re were regarding ivermectin overdoses. When people checked on that, it turned out that only 2% of calls for one month and less for other months had to do with ivermectin and 70% of the 2% had to do with the use of an animal product. Federal Public Health Agency, I think CDC, but maybe FDA, had put out a warning previously telling people that anyone who knew of anybody using ivermectin regardless of whether it was an overdose or whether it was a legally prescribed drug, should alert the federal agency about that because it was allegedly so dangerous. And I'm going to repeat what I said two weeks ago, which is that this is a drug that its two developers won the Nobel Prize for it seven years ago, and it is on the WHO list of essential medications, it is over the counter or was in most of the world 
Nobody ever thought this was a dangerous drug until the CDC and the FDA cooked up some inaccurate statements about it. I may have misspoke. I referred to this, I think, as a board of licensure statements, actually a main board of pharmacy, correct? I said that, yes. Okay. After this statement was issued, what impact did it have on your practice and the availability of ivermectin to treat patients who were seeking that alternative? There were a lot of things happening in the summer and early fall of 2021 to suppress the use of ivermectin as well as hydroxychloroquine. The first that I'm aware of was the Federation of State Medical Boards, which Dr. Gleaton is on the board of trustees for, issuing a warning to doctors that their licenses could be lost for spreading misinformation or disinformation uh, using these drugs or saying negative things about the COVID vaccines. And I thought this was very strange because this is a non-governmental organization, a charity, a nonprofit, you know, taxes, um, and they have no regulatory authority at the Federation itself, but they decided to threaten everyone regarding their licenses for doing exactly what I do, which is safe, effective, and I was willing to treat COVID patients when the rest of the people in this call were not. That was in July. Let me me stop you there. Uh, was issued September 28th, 2021, the Board of Pharmacy statement. Did you appear before the Board of Pharmacy to try to alert them to the impact of the statement that they issued on November 4th, 2021? Yes, I did. Uh, That is Licensee Exhibit 13B, which are the minutes of the Board of Pharmacy meeting of November 4th, 2021 indicating your appearance. Tell the board why you appeared. The board had a public comment period. I was able to testify in between seeing patients and I told them the facts about ivermectin just as I've told you and explained that their issuing of this statement had basically dried up the supply I found out later uh, there was a compounding pharmacy in Maine I could get it from. So there was one pharmacy in the whole of Maine from which I could get ivermectin and I could not get the pills anywhere after this. The the health alert warning from CDC had happened the end of August. The end of August, there had also been national news about at least four doctors whose licenses were being investigated for the prescribing, solely the prescribing of ivermectin for COVID. And then this happened. We were dealing with the third amended notice of hearing. And in the third amended notice of hearing, Uh, There is a paragraph, it's paragraph 15, which reads, the FDA has not authorized or approved the use of ivermectin for use in preventing or treating COVID-19 in humans. Okay. Now, does the FDA need to approve the use of ivermectin for you as a doctor to use a licensed medication? Of course not. This is a deliberately misleading statement by the FDA to try to make doctors think they can't use a legally licensed drug off-label. And the FDA knows what the law is. I'm going to object, Madam Hearing Officer. The witness is answering beyond the scope of the question. Attorney Libby, do you want to respond to that? I think she was responding to the question. Okay, I'm going to allow her to continue with her answer. I was asking you about the FDA had not authorized or approved the use of ivermectin. And my question was, do they need to, or do they historically tell doctors 
how to use medication once it is licensed. The purpose of the FDA is to make sure that drugs are reasonably safe and effective for their licensed purpose and to craft with the manufacturer a license that provides all information needed for doctors to practice with the drug and the label's a legal document. The FDA has no power over the practice of medicine and has acknowledged this. It was acknowledged by Stephen Hahn years ago. But the FDA did make that claim in a long statement it put out about issuing and then revoking the EUA for hydroxychloroquine and has tried to confuse the issue over ivermectin so that physicians who in general know very little about the laws governing medicine will be under the impression that they are unable legally to prescribe it when in fact they can. You prescribed ivermectin to two patients, patient one and patient two, who at the time of prescription were not ill with COVID. Is that correct? That's correct. And what were your instructions to patient one and patient two with respect to the use of ivermectin? that they should hang on to it and begin its use when they developed COVID, according to the instructions I had written on the prescription. You mentioned that individual, the doctor who discovered ivermectin, received a Nobel Prize. Yes. I have that plaque, the National Historic Chemical Landmark Discovery of Ivermectin, American company, is it Kenworth, New Jersey? Kenilworth. Can you read uh, what the plaque on this National Historic Chemical Landmark reads? There's some lack of foundation, authenticity, uh, asking the witness to read off a document that I don't believe the uh, board members have in front of them. It's a National Historic Landmark. There is no dispute about its authenticity. Well, we don't have the exhibit, so this is not in the exhibits, correct? Go ahead. Okay. No, 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 don't go ahead. Have you, is this an exhibit, Attorney Libby? No, it's not an exhibit. Okay, then unless you've shared it with the other party and me, we're not going to read from it. She can tell tell us what she she's already explained her understanding of this prize being provided or awarded, and so I think you should move on. And was this Nobel Peace Prize awarded for the human use of ivermectin? Jackson, yeah. lack of foundation. Uh, I believe we're talking about a prize in science or medicine, and counsel's asking about a peace prize. I think he's misrepresenting previous testimony. Okay, so can you clarify your question, Attorney Libby, so that it's clear? Prize in medicine, not a peace prize. So it was a prize in medicine. Okay, so go ahead with your answer, Dr. Nas. This drug was considered a wonder drug when it was discovered and developed. It was on the front page of the New York Times magazine. I don't know of any poisonous drugs that have ever made it to the front page of the New York Times Magazine or have gotten a Nobel Prize or on this historic landmark. But Merck, the company, has been donating the drug to 200 million Africans a year to end the epidemic of onchocerciasis or river blindness. They've donated over 3 billion doses and the president of Merck, who was himself a physician and chemist, Roy Vagalos, and helped in the discovery, said that Merck would continue to donate ivermectin for Africans and Latin Americans at risk of onchocerciasis until the disease has been wiped out. And they've been doing that 
for 25 years. You mentioned off-label use. Was your prescription to patients one and patient two off-label use? Absolutely. Is off-label use permitted by the FDA? Absolutely. Have you used ivermectin for other off-label purposes? I think I used it once on-label, maybe. Have you used it for other purposes other than uh, COVID-19? I think I used it once on-label, maybe. Have you used it for other purposes other than uh, COVID-19? Reading the efficacy of ivermectin in prophylaxis and treatment of COVID-19. I am, although I read it over a year ago when it came out. Uh, and uh, this is authored by uh, Pierre Corey, along with several others, correct? In randomized controlled treatment trials of ivermectin in COVID-19 have found large statistically significant reductions in mortality, time to clinical recovery, and time to viral clearance. Furthermore, results from numerous controlled prophylaxis trials report significantly reduced risks of ivermectin. Finally, the many effective in all phases of COVID research uh, meta-analysis published. The American Journal of Therapeutics. And uh, I want to draw your attention to E302. Uh, that's a page number reference. It's the fourth page of the article. Yes. It has the heading uh, exposed prophylactic studies of ivermectin's ability to prevent transmission of COVID-19. Yes. Uh, is this uh, evidence, medical scientific evidence, which you as a doctor uh, can use and rely upon in making medical judgments with your patients? Yes. A reference here to two randomized control trials with respect to ivermectin. Did the A announce a policy, I may be wrong, it may be the CDC, to only look at randomized control trials? I, I'm not aware either agency has done that. Um, I think that up until very recently, randomized control trials were considered the gold standard in medicine, and meta-analyses are, are considered at least that high of an evidence standard. This is a meta-analysis although it's trying to deal with a relatively small number of publications. Uh, are, are you aware of research uh, indicating uh, when observational studies and randomized control studies were compared in 2014, they were found to contain statistically no difference? Yeah. So what used to be known as the Cochrane collaboration, and now the Cochrane was basically the gold standard in the world for performing meta-analyses of data on all medical subjects. And anyway, what the Cochrane collaboration found in 2014 was that if you looked at, at the data emanating from observational studies, you found that it was essentially equivalent to the randomized control trials and it should not be ignored. And again, this is from the group that was considered at the time to set the standard uh, for epidemi epidemiological analysis of large amounts of medical uh, scientific data. 
I want to now look at uh, licensee exhibit 50. Early on in the pandemic in 2020, was there research and publications about alternative treatments for COVID? Yes, there was. By who? This one is by Peter McCullough and a large group. It looks like probably about 30 or 40 other people uh, published online on December 30, 2020. What's the headline of the article? Multifaceted, highly targeted, sequential, multidrug treatment of early ambulatory, high-risk SARS-CoV-2 infection. And uh, is this research that you were familiar with at the time that was published, Dr. Nass? Yes. Is, did this research uh, address the use of ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine? Again, I, I read it when it came out, which is almost two years ago. I know it definitely addressed hydroxychloroquine, and I'm not sure. I can't remember. Oh, yeah. It's got ivermectin in here, too. Okay. Now, I want to go to Licensee Exhibit 51, which is the next uh, research piece by uh, Peter McCullough. What is the, the uh, title of that piece? Pathophysiological Basis and Rationale for Early Outpatient Treatment of SARS-CoV-2 Infection in the American Journal of Medicine. And is the American Journal of Medicine a reputable a medical journal. Yes. And was this pathophysiological basis for early treatment at, at the time in 2020, was there any early treatment for COVID-19? There was, if you were my patient. What was that? Ivermectin. At this, the time this came out, I started using ivermectin only in December of 2020. But I was using hydroxychloroquine and supplements, aspirin, things like that. I'm not sure when I started using prednisone, um, when I started using other drugs. I, over time, I developed quite a palette of drugs that I would employ for different symptoms, different stages of the illness. This was published on August 6, 2020? Uh-huh, yes. Uh, and uh, again, did this... Uh, address the use of both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin to treat people on an outpatient basis? Certainly it addresses hydroxychloroquine. Let's see if it has ivermectin. It has zinc, doxycycline, azithromycin, favipiravir, colchicine, antiplatelet agents, and oxygen. This was in August, I think, of 2020. Now let's look internationally. Exhibit 53. What is the uh, title of that article? Global Trends in Clinical Studies of Ivermectin in COVID-19. And what is the date uh, of the revised publication? March 10, 2021. This the, is the re received for publication on that day. Okay. I stand corrected. Now, th this uh, reports on the global trends of the use of ivermectin. Yes, it does. And the final author, who is the, the supervising author, is Satoshi Omura, who is one of the two um, recipients of the Nobel Prize for this drug. Uh, and this was published in what publication? The Japanese Journal of Antibiotics. Is the Japanese Journal of Antibiotics a reputable uh, source for information for the medical scientific community? To my knowledge, it is. I mean, is there any reason to disregard it simply because it comes from 
originates in Japan? Absolutely not. Japan has a, as you may know, has probably the longest, the highest mortality. In other words, people live longer in Japan than in any other country that we know of. The quality of medicine is good. And Satoshi Omura, who uh, won the Nobel Prize, could probably publish anywhere he wanted. Am I correct that Japan authorized and promoted the use of ivermectin to treat COVID-19? Not the entire country, but many prominent doctors, including the head of Tokyo's Medical Association, promoted the use of ivermectin for COVID. Are you familiar with Dr. Harvey Reich, R-I-S-C-H? I am. And tell us how you're familiar with Dr. Reich. Dr. Reich um, wrote an article about hydroxychloroquine early in the pandemic. He published in the Wall Street Journal. He published in Newsweek and he published in the, in I think, I'm not sure, the American Journal of Epidemiology. He is a very prominent epidemiologist. He was at that time a professor at Yale. Now he is emeritus, so he's retired. And so I read his publications and eventually I've spoken with him on the phone too. And has he been retained as an expert in epidemiology in this case? He has. And uh, did he provide uh, you with a report on uh, a meta-analysis of the use and safety of ivermectin uh, with respect to COVID-19? He did. I'm going to show you what is marked Licensee Exhibit 151A. What is the date of Dr. Reich's report? July 31st, 2022. Are there a number of bullet points that lead off the report? Yes. Could you read the first bullet point? Every one of the nine epidemiologically adequate studies of ivermectin-based COVID-19 prophylaxis has shown risk reduction for developing the infection. Can you read the second point? Meta-analysis demonstrates 71% risk reduction and 82% risk reduction, depending what method is used, to an amazing p-value. And the third bullet point. Ivermectin has been safely used for 50 years by hundreds of millions of people worldwide in billions of doses in people with autoimmune and other chronic diseases, in children, in the elderly, etc. It is one of the safest medications known. And the fourth bullet point. The FDA has no systematic evidence of fatal adverse events from ivermectin prophylaxis or early outpatient use. So in your judgment, uh, Dr. Nass, was there a sufficient body of knowledge with respect to ivermectin to support your prescribing this to patients one and two? Absolutely. I want to go to board exhibit 87. This is an email from you to Savannah Oparanko on January 10th, 2022. Yes. And uh, what did, what did you write in the subject heading? Here is the evidence of benefit from 29 early treatment studies using ivermectin for COVID. What did you attach to that email? I attached a forest plot with a list of the 29 studies and what they revealed relative to each other regarding the benefit of ivermectin when used early in the course of COVID in outpatients. Okay, what is a forest plot? A forest plot is a way of designating meta-analytic data. And so 
the boxes on the forest plot, or sometimes they're rectangles or other objects, are written in terms of the size. The size reflects the number of patients in the trial, and where they are located on the graph um, reflects how big an effect, either positive or negative, there was as a result of the intervention. And on the left side, you have the positive effects. In the center, you have basically a wash. In other words, if you had one of these boxes um, dead in the center, it would mean that ivermectin had no effect. And for those um, boxes on the right-hand side of the graph, it means ivermectin appeared to have a negative effect. Where was this published? In other words, where did you obtain it? This is published online. It is not published in a journal. And who publishes it? This is also interesting. There's a group of doctors, scientists, who have put this website together and who remain anonymous because of fear that they will be, their career will be adversely affected if they say who they are. And they've been updating this website for a couple of years. They're not the only people who do meta-analyses of this data. You've already heard uh, about the article by Pierre Corey et al, which is another meta-analysis, but a smaller and earlier one. This is more up to date. It's um, accurate as of uh, last January. And so my, my question is, why did you provide it to Ms. Okoronko? I provided it because um, either she was claiming misinformation or she had something else that I didn't have any, you know, I had there was, people were claiming there was no validity to, to my use of ivermectin. There was no data, nothing to show that it worked. And I said, look, here's a meta-analysis of 29 studies and of them, 25 of them showed it worked and it had a quite massive effect overall. When you average everything out, it caused a 67% improvement um, which is quite a remarkable improvement for a viral illness. Would that be with one drug? Would that be in the eyes of a physician or a researcher significant evidence of benefit of ivermectin? It's extraordinary evidence of benefit. Now, you also sent another email, which is marked Board Exhibit 88. What is the date of the email and what is the subject line? January 10, here is a similar compilation of the results of 33 early treatment studies using hydroxychloroquine for COVID. So you provided both of these before you were suspended? I did. And what did the hydroxychloroquine uh, study indicate? This is another forest plot. And um, you can see that in this one, there is only one of the 33 studies that showed a negative effect. And the uh, positive effect, again, is significant, although probably not as strong. I don't have on this piece of paper the average amount, but um, clearly, probably somewhere between 25 and 60% overall, if not higher. And why did you provide this to the board? to indicate that there was plenty of evidence that hydroxychloroquine in COVID is very beneficial. Is hydroxychloroquine a licensed drug? Yes. Can you as a physician prescribe hydroxychloroquine off-label? Of course I can. And 
did you prescribe hydroxychloroquine to patient two and patient three? I did. And let me remind you, I had used it in between 100 and 200 patients before that for other purposes. What other purposes? Rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, and Lyme disease. Were those all off-label? The lupus and rheumatoid arthritis, I believe, are on-label. And the Lyme is off-label. We had discussed this previously. Did you have an opportunity to attend the executive session where you were suspended? I was able to watch it. You were not able to speak? No. But you were able to listen? Yes. Was any of the evidence that you provided as to the safety and efficacy of ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine discussed prior to your suspension? I don't remember Dr. Fay LeBlanc, who presented my case, presenting any of this information to the rest of the board. This is Licensee Exhibit 93. Can you identify that, please? This is an article called The Illegal Crusade Against Ivermectin. And it is written by two people named Ben Carson and C. Boyden Gray. It was published on July 12th, 2022. I'll remind you that Ben Carson was the secretary of HUD under Trump and C. Boyden Gray was a Republican operative in earlier administrations. He is an expert in administrative uh, law. And Tell us about this campaign against ivermectin. The subtitle of this article is The FDA Overstepped Its Authority, argues Dr. Ben Carson and C. Boyden Gray. They point out exactly what I've told you, which is the FDA had no authority to restrict the off-label use of a legal drug that is not within their purview, that they don't have a legal authority to do that. And they did it anyway. And they entrapped boards to do, help them. When you say entrapped boards to help them, what do you mean? I don't think the boards knew legally what they were doing when they tried to put the kibosh on these drugs. I don't think they knew the facts about efficacy and safety. And I don't think they knew what the law was. And I don't think they knew that they had no legal right to do that either with, without evidence. I'm trying to understand why would the government try to squelch the availability of a licensed drug that received the historic chemical achievement award to treat and lack of foundation personal knowledge to treat uh, COVID-19. Can you establish attorney Libby, how she has this information from her personal and uh, uh, professional experience? Okay. So can you ask her that please? How do you have this information? Dr. Ness. You asked first, why would the government suppress a, a safe legal drug? And then you asked, how would I, where would I determine from, on what basis would I make, uh, provide an answer to that? So, Dr. Ness, could you answer the second question first, please, so I can rule on the objection? Thank you. The second question is the foundation, Madam yeah. Officer. Yes, thank you. Yeah, the foundation is is the extensive research writing and collaborating I have done since the start of the pandemic with many other experts who are also working on pandemic issues. Okay, so I'm going to allow the substantive question. Go ahead with your answer, Dr. Nass. Well, it's a really good question. Why would the government do such a thing? It's hard to believe. And yet, I wrote a paper starting in May of 2020 and continuing through 2020 about the 58 ways hydroxychloroquine was being suppressed. So there's no 
question that it's happened that gov our government and other governments have suppressed the use of hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin illegally and caused the deaths of more people, millions of more people than there should have been. Now, why would they do that? I think you have to put it into a context of what else is happening at the same time. We see the currency inflating rapidly. We see various forms of attack on the growing of food and the availability of food. We see an attack on pipelines, reducing the amount of natural gas. We see laws that are reducing our ability to access fossil fuels. And we say clearly governments are trying to make large changes in our society in the developed world and it's unclear why but there certainly is context to say things are happening that have not been explained to the population and the way the covid experience has been managed is simply one part of this i want you to look at licensee exhibit 15 can you identify who wrote this letter and who is it sent to the letter was written by a woman who seems to be a pharmacist named sharon gluck written to Humayun Chaudhry, who is the president and CEO of the Federation of State Medical Boards. Ms. Gluck is a division chief or branch chief at the FDA for compounded drugs. And so this letter- What's the date of the letter? Dated December 13th, 2021, says, Dear Dr. Chaudhry, the purpose of this letter is to bring to the attention of the Federation of State Medical Boards information related to drug products containing ivermectin being offered for sale with claims that such products treat or prevent coronavirus disease. Recently, FDA has received complaints about compounding pharmacies selling drug products containing ivermectin claiming that they can treat or prevent COVID-19. And uh, does the letter uh, request any action by the Federation of State Medical Boards? This is another one of the fluffy letters. I referred to another one earlier in which there is no force of law rule regulation, but the idea is that the Federation of State Medical Boards- I have to object to the witness being non-responsive. Okay, can you- I'm not finished. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Okay, so can you repeat the question, Attorney Levy? The question I believe I asked was, uh, does it request any action by uh, the Federation of State Medical Boards? Okay, so go ahead, Dr. Nass, and if I feel it's non-responsive, I'll stop you and redirect you. As I said, there's no. this is not asking the Federation of State Medical Boards to do anything specific, but claims we're sending this letter to facilitate communication among associations with shared goals regarding these matters. And what clearly was intended was the Federation of Objection, State because Courts, now we're going beyond the uh, scope and it's non-responsive. Okay, so I think once she gets into the intention, that's where we're running into problems. Okay. So go ahead with your next question, Attorney Libby. This was December 13th, 2021? Yes. I want you to go to Licensee Exhibit 24. This is the full 2021 newsletter and an article signed by Marula S. Gleaton, MD, Chair of the Maine Medical Board, titled COVID-19 Misinformation, a Position Statement. And that was published in the Maine Board of Licensure in Medicine Fall 2021 newsletter? Yes. 
and did it express the board's support of this position statement? Yes, it reiterated some information that the Federation of State Medical Boards had written. It then said that there were three specialty boards that had issued a statement in support of the Federation of State Medical Boards and that the main board of licensure and medicine was also supporting the position regarding quote, COVID-19 vaccine misinformation spread by physicians and physician assistants. Announcer, I'm gonna to have to object. Uh, there's no allegations related to vaccine efficacy or statements about it. And that seems to be where this uh, discussion is going. I'll move on, uh, Madam Hearing Officer. Thank you. I would like to play licensee exhibits uh, 197, which is a short video. Okay. Of all the harmful misinformation spread over the past couple of years, one of the most disturbing false narratives is targeted at the Nobel Prize winning human medicine, Remectin. So things are clearly bad, but they're being made even worse by people who have refused to take the vaccine and instead are swallowing horse paste. Horse dewormer. There's no clinical evidence that indicates that this works. It goes beyond that. We actually know that it doesn't work. Ivermectin is ineffective against COVID. But could put you in a coma. It can kill you. It can kill you. Turns out I got COVID. So we immediately threw the kitchen sink at it. All kinds of meds, monoclonal antibodies, uh, ivermectin. One of those drugs he mentioned, ivermectin, is something more often used to deworm horses. <laughs> we should talk about that. That bothered you. It should bother you too. <laughs> lying at your network about people taking human drugs versus drugs for it, veterinary. Calling it a horse dewormer is not a flattering thing. I get it's that. It's a lie. They, they, they shouldn't have said that. Why did they? I don't know. You're the medical guy over there. Ivermectin can be a very effective medication. Whenever you have clear-cut evidence that a drug works, you have an ethical obligation to immediately let the people know so that they could have access. Every medical professional I've spoken with stressed the importance of early treatment. Myself, my family, and friends use ivermectin regularly as a preventative against all the new variants spreading throughout our immune-compromised communities. What are you telling people is the, is the optimal profile? I want a pill orally administered single pill given for seven to 10 days, little drug drug interaction and low toxicity. Give me that and I'll be really happy. Ivermectin has been used safely for decades, has no known drug interactions, won a Nobel Prize for its success treating humans, and is on the WHO's list of the safest, most effective medicines in the entire world. Clinical studies abroad suggest it works. All the studies show that it does have a positive effect. That is the thing about Ivermectin. It's not good, it's great. Because I believe the withholding of Ivermectin is a crime against humanity. I've sourced what I believe is one of the best places to stock up on this truly remarkable medicine. Simply click the yellow button. That will take you to one of the top compounding pharmacies in the country. They source only U.S.-based products, all from FDA-inspected and approved facilities. Once approved by one of their physicians, your order will be sent directly to your home. It's that easy. Share this video with everyone you love. And please, take care of yourself and each other. I'm going to move now to licensee exhibit 44. That's an email. Tell us who it's to, who it's from, and the date, please. This is an email from me to Savannah Okoronkwo. On Objection. I, I think we're looking at a board staff exhibit rather than licensee exhibit. It is a board staff exhibit. Exhibit 44. 
an email from me to Savannah. Dear Savannah, you did not answer my question regarding the statutory basis for investigating something that happens in my personal life outside the office. I await your sharing with me the law or regulation that authorizes the board to investigate my private life. Now, why were you sending this email, Dr. Nass? I was sending this email because Savannah had told me a complaint had been filed. Um, I looked on the board website. It said all the complaints that are filed get reviewed to see if they are within the board's jurisdiction. I had asked Savannah, was this reviewed? Who reviewed it? Is it in the board's jurisdiction? She wouldn't answer me. Let's go to exhibit 45. So could you tell us who, who the email is from, to, and the date, please? It is from Assistant Attorney General Michael Miller to me on October 14th, same day. And is it in response to your question to Ms. Ocaronco about the board's jurisdiction? It seems to be. And Michael Miller is an Assistant Attorney General? Yes. And does she uh, cite a statute in the bottom of the letter upon which the board's jurisdiction rests? She does. She cites 32 MRS 3282-A2R. And does she also cite in the first paragraph another section of 32 main revised statutes? Yes, 3282-A2F. And does she identify that as the basis of the board's jurisdiction? She then says the AMA Code of Medical Ethics sets forth standards of professional behavior, which the board may enforce. You may wish to review the board's statutes, rules, and policies. Now, are there any charges or grounds in the third notice of hearing alleging a violation of 3282A2F? I don't think so. There are not. You referenced the AMA. Uh, has the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics ever been adopted as a rule by the main board of licensure and medicine? Never. Is it enforceable uh, by the board since it's never been adopted as a rule? Objection no. foundation. Hold on, Attorney Libby, can you establish her knowledge of this information that she's about to testify to? Yes, it was published and uh, introduced in the October 11th session, where the chair of the board uh, published in the newsletter that the board has no authority to enforce anything but statutes or rules. And the, and the board has never adopted the American Medical Association Code of Medical Ethics. Okay, so can you just establish that she heard that or was present or otherwise knows of that before she goes into the substance? Sure. She uh, read the newsletter, which I provided her. Is that correct, Dr. Ness? Not only that, but Michael Miller told me to read the board statutes, and I did that too. Okay, go ahead with the question then. In Exhibit 46, did you respond to Assistant Attorney General Miller? Yes, I did. What did you say to Assistant Attorney General Miller? Same day evening. I said, Dear Mr. Miller, because I wasn't aware that Michael was a woman at that time, I am quite familiar with the rules and the AMA Code of Ethics, and you might want to familiarize yourself with the complaint against me that specifies no complaint. Once someone tells me, A, what the actual complaint is that I'm alleged to have performed, and B, that the board, according to its website, has found this complaint to be within its jurisdiction, I have nothing else to tell you. So at this point, 
Dr. Nass, you didn't know what the complaint was? No, the only complaint was somebody said you spread misinformation. And when I asked over and over again, what was the misinformation? What did I say that was incorrect, inaccurate? Nobody would tell me. Let's look at exhibit, board exhibit 47. Uh, who is that to and from and the date, please? Same day, later that evening, from me to Michael Miller and Savannah Okoronkwo. What are you trying to determine in these exchanges of emails, Dr. Nass? Well, I'm trying to determine what they're investigating me for and why is my license suddenly at risk and they won't tell me what I did wrong. So um, I was pressing them. I, uh, Michael Miller had said, I'm the AAG. And of course, at that point, I didn't know that AAG stood for Assistant Attorney General. So I asked her, I, uh, I said, you say you are legal counsel. I am not sure what AAG stands for. Are you an attorney? If not, what are you? Assuming you are an attorney, if I wrote to your board and said, I heard you say things that were unprofessional for a lawyer and demanded you defend yourself, I have no doubt you would ask for what specifically it was you said or did that you needed to defend. So attorney Libby, we're going pretty far down this road of how the case came to be. I, I think all those records are in the document. The board is aware of how the case came to be. And I'd like to move back more to the substance of the allegations in the notice of hearing. Well, this is related to the substance of the allegation because it's directly related to Dr. Nass's inability to retain counsel because uh, board staff would not provide her the name of the complainants so that an attorney could run a conflict check. And in fact, she uh, will testify that she did that multiple times and that interfered with her ability to get counsel. And how does that relate to the allegations in the notice of hearing? Because we're here today at a hearing with counsel. It relates to the fact that Dr. Nass was suspended and went to the uh, January 11th board meeting without counsel. Okay, well, we've established all that, but that again, that's all part of the process that got us to today, but today we're looking at the allegations that are in the notice of hearing. So if we could move to those questions, I would appreciate it. We're gonna look at the licensee exhibit 13D. What is uh, licensee exhibit 13D? This is an email from Michael Miller to Savannah Okoronkwo dated November 5th, 2021. There's another email at the bottom uh, who was that from and who was that to? Michael Miller was forwarding an email she had received from John Nichols, another AAG, and the subject of the same day. And the subject was notes of public comment. And the content of the email is a summary of what I had told the Board of Pharmacy at a public hearing to which I am not only entitled, but obligated according to the AMA code of ethics to speak to, to try to get an, an, a law change that is harming my patients. You were speaking to the board about ivermectin? Yes. And you were trying to get the board to change its statement on the use of ivermectin? Yes. And why were you doing that, Dr. Ness? As I said, it was harming my patients. Patients were dying. So did it surprise you to learn that attorney generals are reporting to each other what you're saying at 
uh, a public hearing. That surprised Objection, me. relevance. Right. Given the reduction in the allegations in the notice of hearing, I'm not sure why we need to go into this, Attorney Levine. Before we move away from 13D, uh, what does the email from Miller to Ocaranco say? So hold on. We just, I just asked you to move away from this line of questioning because it didn't seem to be relevant to the allegations of the notice of hearing. We had a relevance objection. So I'm not clear why you're repeating. Well, it, it is relevant. Uh, and I'll make an offer of proof. Okay. Uh, what does the email from Miller to Wokoronko say? Quote, I am forwarding this information to be included in Dr. Nance's complaint file, unquote. This is the information I provided the Board of Pharmacy. Let's look at Board Exhibit 56. Apparently, Officer, can, can, now that there's been an offer of proof, can we get a ruling on the relevance objection, please? Well, I think we're moving on. So I'm, am I correct in that, Attorney Libby, you're moving on to? I, I am, Judge. Uh, I am, Madam Hearing Officer. Okay. And just for the record, when you say board exhibit, that's technically board staff exhibit. Just, I, I know that we all know that, but just so the record's clear. Board staff exhibit 56. Uh, what is that? This is a note written for a file by Nicolette Alexander, board staff. And what is the CR number referenced? CR 21-210 on November 16th, 2021. And who is uh, Ms. Alexander speaking with? Catherine Moores. And is Ms. Moores one of the individuals who complained about misinformation? Yes. And in that interview with Ms. Alexander, did Ms. Alexander request patient information? Yes, she did. What did she request? I asked Ms. Moores if she knew of any patients, I'm quoting, friends or family of Dr. Nass and whether they may be willing to be identified and speak with board staff. Ms. Moores did not have any knowledge of persons who may be patients of Dr. Nass. So uh, do, do you know why the board was board staff was looking for your patients objection foundation personal knowledge relevance i asked her if she knew why she can answer the question she may or may not okay so go ahead with the answer dr mass i assume they were looking for patients to see if they could elicit an actual patient complaint so they could finally get something on me I'll object on the basis of the speculation then witnesses testified it was an assumption okay response attorney libby that was her belief okay so i'm gonna allow the answer go ahead dr nass I, I i do want to just again underscore that i'd like to move us more to the substance of the allegations of the notice of hearing this is a lot of peripheral evidence all of which is already in the record and so i think it would be much more beneficial to dig into the actual information related to the allegations in the notice of hearing and the third amended notice of hearing which as we all know greatly reduced the initial allegations. The hearing officer wants us to move to some substance. So why don't we go to board exhibit 18? Can you tell us the date, uh, the author of that email, who it's to, uh, and the date? This is an email from myself to Savannah Okoronkwo and to Dennis Smith and Kenji Sato of the board staff. And what is the concern? The subject is misinformation and board of licensure and medicine. The date is December 11th, 2021, and this is my self-report to the board of having been put in a position where I could either harm the patient or potentially harm myself by lying to a pharmacist in order to get a drug that the patient and I were legally entitled to prescribe, the pharmacist was legally entitled to dispense, and the patient was legally entitled to take. So let me 
Let me ask you, the, the drug that we're talking about is what? Hydroxychloroquine. And this relates to patient two? Yes. Okay. So tell us the circumstances involving patient two that led to the prescription for hydroxychloroquine. Patient two was a very, in my opinion, from the beginning, a high risk patient if he got COVID. And I instructed him because the board had issued a restriction for the use of hydroxychloroquine that it could not be given prophylactically. It could only be prescribed for acute COVID. I had told him that I wanted to give it to him, but I was legally unable to do so when I talked to him in September. When he got COVID in December, his wife called me to get the hydroxychloroquine and to get advice on managing his care at that point. And okay. so let I me, tried let to... Me, let me stop you at that point. When his wife, whose name is Angela, correct? Yes. When his wife called you, how many days was, had patient two been experiencing symptoms? I initially thought she had called me right away, but it turned out he'd been experiencing symptoms for five or six days at that point. Did you receive information regarding patient two's condition? I did. Uh, did you, with that information, make a medical judgment with respect to further medications? I did. And tell us about that judgment and the medication. I thought he would benefit from hydroxychloroquine and possibly from azithromycin as well. Since both of these cause an increase in the QT interval, and I felt he was at high risk potentially for an arrhythmia, I did not want to give both at the same time. He had, was on many other drugs and supplements. And so I, uh, and I also, wanted him to be able to obtain the drug. And so I had to do a couple of things that I normally would never do. I tried to avoid conflict and let him get the prescription. I prescribed a Lyme disease dose of hydroxychloroquine and azithromycin by phone to the pharmacist on a Saturday, three weeks of each, which is not what I use for COVID hoping the pharmacist would just fill the goddamn prescriptions and leave us alone and let the patient get his medicines. And what happened? The pharmacist wouldn't fill it and called me back and said, what's the diagnosis? And uh, so then it was either lie to the pharmacist or because I knew the state had scared these pharmacists so they wouldn't dispense the legally appropriate medicine because they're worried about their license. There's no rule saying they shouldn't. And in fact, there's a standing rule from this board, as well as from DHS, that hydroxychloroquine could be prescribed and dispensed for acute COVID. So that rule exists. We've, we've gone over it. And yet everybody pretended that it didn't exist. And there was some other rule saying you couldn't dispense it for COVID, but nobody had written that other rule down in black and white, but all the pharmacists and almost all the doctors knew they better not write the prescription or dispense it. So Dr. Nass, why did you expose yourself when given the choice of following uh, uh, a board statement that you didn't uh, believe in and obtaining potentially life-saving medication for patient two. 
it was very clear to me at the time that I could either do my best for the patient and put myself at risk, even though everything I was doing was legal, or I could withhold the drug and I'd be safe and the patient would be at, at more risk. Now, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know I remember the oath I took when I graduated from medical school. I didn't like having to make that decision. I've never had to make it before. But this board put me in the position where I had no choice. And I immediately notified the board about it. I said, don't do this to any other doctors. Why would you notify the board? What was your purpose? My purpose was the same purpose in addressing the board of pharmacy. Stop doing this crazy stuff. Stop killing people. Let's get back to practicing medicine. We have laws. You already made a ruling about hydroxychloroquine, which was it's okay for acute COVID. Get rid of all this coded messages and fear campaign on doctors and pharmacists. Let's follow the law. Let's practice medicine. Let's start saving lives again. It's a